This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, I'm all alone, left to my own devices to talk to the OpenStack team about how NetApp is making OpenStack a viable option for enterprises interested in private and public cloud. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. This is episode 24. We talk about all things OpenStack and attempt to give a primer to the uninitiated. This week, we don't have Glenn. We don't have Andrew. I have taken over the podcast studio and I'm going solo. I've gone rogue. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, they're in meetings. They're very important. Much more important than I am, which is why I'm doing this. All right. So I brought in some of the best and brightest OpenStack subject matter experts we have here at NetApp. Guys, tell us who you are and what you do, starting with Jeff. Hey, good to be here. Uh, Name's Jeff Applewhite. I'm a technical marketing engineer. I've been working on the OpenStack project here for about three and a half years. Um, Been at NetApp about six. And uh, just happy to be here and uh, talk about all things OpenStack. All right, and Akshay. Hey everyone, my name is Akshay Parthasarathy. I also work on the OpenStack team as a technical marketing engineer. Been here for a little less than a year, but I've been with cloud computing for a while now. I was previously at Amazon. Um, So yeah, look forward to informing you guys about OpenStack. All right, so I'm a TME, I do NFS. Tell me a little bit about what the OpenStack TMEs do. So yeah, there's a it's kind of a it's a really interesting job and um, kind of a, a great fit for people who like to do a lot of different things. Uh, on the OpenStack team, I don't know how it is for yours your job, but uh, on the OpenStack side, we do a lot of different things. So some of it is testing new features that's that are rolling out and figuring out how to th- integrate those into our customers' solutions. Um, and so, for instance, a customer might might need help learning how to deploy Manila, the Manila project that we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, so we'll set up a test bed and you know figure out how to make that all hook up and and get the storage working from from their endpoint to the the cloud instance and uh, and then help the customer go about um, achieving that in their proof of concept or um, sometimes we're writing technical reports or best practices or reference architectures or and sometimes we're out talking about it so it's kind of create content talk about content um, you know uh, and getting you know getting very deep and dirty with the technology is is kind of a requirement for being able to do that. So that's my perspective, actually. Uh, yeah, talking to customers is also part of uh, something we do quite often um, uh, about OpenStack and how the data fabric, you might have heard about what the data fabric is. It's about how OpenStack fits into the whole cloud computing environment. Um, that's an important part of what we're doing. We're also working on things like the test drive, which is a way for you to Go ahead and POC an OpenStack environment. You um, you can kind of set up OpenStack. We will set up OpenStack for you when you run a test drive, and you can play around with it for a few hours. Things around that nature, um, you know, to basically educate people like uh, the general audience about OpenStack. So you mentioned the data fabric and how OpenStack integrates into that. Can you give us a high level overview of how that happens? Right. So. Um, when you look at the cloud computing, um, uh, the way cloud computing is in uh, in the IT industry today, you have the 
hyperscalers, uh, cloud computing, public cloud vendors like Amazon, Azure, and so on. And then you have the service providers, um, and you have companies that will run cloud within their own enterprises, which is also known as private cloud. So where the data fabric comes in is you want to have seamless mobility of your data between your service provider cloud, your private cloud, and your hyperscaler. Uh, for things like Amazon and Azure, we provide cloud on tap, uh, which is basically on tap in the in those particular hyperscaler clouds. Um, for the service provider and the private cloud uh, market, we provide OpenStack, and the NetApp Unified drivers for OpenStack will basically allow you to deploy cluster data on tap or E-series um, in those two types of infrastructure. Right. So, and, and I guess the concept overall of the, of the data fabric is, you know, your data where you want it anywhere in, in the cloud, right? Moving from cloud to cloud, moving from, you know... Exactly. Seamless mobility, yeah. Right, right. Moving from, you know, snap mirror to everything is part of that story as well, right? Exactly, exactly. Snap mirror is part of it. Uh, even things like backing up an archival and sending some of your backups over to the public cloud, things like that also come into play. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of use cases in that particular environment. So, J Jeff, do you have anything to add to that? or Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, as far as the, the data fabric ecosystem, uh, there's a slide we talk about um, that, you know, we talk we can talk in detail, actually, if you want to, about specific integrations we have across a lot of our products with OpenStack. Uh, so you can think about the data fabric as, you know, the underlying uh, the plumbing of the cloud, where you can think about OpenStack as kind of an API fabric, if you would, a common framework that things plug into that enables... Uh, you know, automating something once and not having to redevelop it depending on what particular back end you choose. For example, you know, we have driver for E-Series, we have a driver for FAS, obviously. Um, the same calls that you make to create a volume or expand a volume or, you know, provision uh, storage, and, and this is across protocols too, are, are the same regarding whatever the back end it is. So in a sense, it's a fabric that really abstracts away a lot of the down and dirty details of how you go about provisioning storage, whether it's NFS storage or, you know, iSCSI or fiber channel storage, and makes it all seem the same. Um, and that, that applies across, you know, the storage protocols within Cinder, but... Um, we also have object uh, offerings in OpenStack. You know, we have integrations now with Storage Grid WebScale has come out with Swift compatibility. Yeah, we just did um, a, the podcast last week on Storage Grid. Yeah, great. So, yeah, you probably covered the, the Swift uh, compatibility that's come out there. So, so those of you that don't know, Swift was sort of the original storage in OpenStack. It was uh, the Cloud Files uh, you know, project that was released by um, uh, Rackspace. You may know it NASA. as S3 on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So it's Swift yep. is basically the same as S3 on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's that. I mean, uh, you know, so the the tying into OpenStack across a lot of our products is happening. Alta Vault can be a target for you know when you go to do a sender backup command, you can actually use the Alta Vault NFS mount as a target for that, and thereby you know encrypt and compress your data and then stream that to the public uh, hyperscaler of your choice, whether it's Amazon or others. Uh, and then uh, those of you have probably heard of cloud on tap. And so, you know, one of the things you can do in our OpenStack drivers filter on, on mirroring. So if you have a mirrored volume, the target for that mirror could be out in the cloud. It could be out in uh, running an Amazon with cloud on tap or Azure. Um, and our management tools as well are getting on board. So in the future, uh, the on-command management suite is going to have the capability to monitor OpenStack endpoints. So there's, you can see there's a lot of different places where our products are kind of tying into the OpenStack story. 
I like the uh, the random plugs for NFS there. That really makes my heart warm. <laughs> I thought you would like that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Just for you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there there is a lot of NFS on the back end of the OpenStack implementations. And what's great about it is it's it's a solution for people who don't care about what's going on with the storage, right? All I care mm-hmm. about is give me my storage, not how do I give myself my storage. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it really shouldn't come to as a surprise to those of you that are familiar with VMware and our history with that and scaling with NFS that NFS also makes a great protocol to serve for OpenStack. Uh, it's really the same. It's the same workloads, the same I/O patterns. It's just a new technology and with a different face on it. But really, the underlying storage requirements are very similar. The same kinds of things that we do with VMware that make people's lives easy with, you know, instantaneous snapshots and flex clones, all that kind of thing, apply just as well in the OpenStack world. So it's really taking. You know, it's almost like uh, the, the analogy I came up with. It's kind of like if you took a, a really good rugby player. And you said, "Hey, you're, you've now got to play in the NFL. You got to be a football player." He he might be a pretty good football player because he already had that background in playing rugby. It's kind of a loose analogy, I guess. Uh, does, that, does that make any sense? Am I going off? Am I in the weeds here? <laughs> uh, we often go in the weeds here uh, on the podcast, and that's okay because I think that's what makes us unique. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. All right, Whew. all right. I feel better. So yeah. So the analogy, you know, the the virtualized ecosystem. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different virtualization platforms that NetApp has. A really strong history with, and OpenStack has just turned out to be another great fit for the underlying technology that we have. Uh, so it really shouldn't be a surprise that uh, we're the number one enterprise storage provider for for OpenStack. C- could reason, you re- could you repeat that? I like saying that the could number you, one enterprise storage uh, platform in OpenStack. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't get tired of hearing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've been um, we've been pretty huge in OpenStack. In fact, uh, for the Liberty release that came out late last year, NetApp was the number one contributor in Manila, which is the file share service and Cinder, which is a block storage service. Um, so, yeah, we've been pretty involved and uh, excited about it. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, it's, it's not just driver code, too. So, I mean, some of the core te- uh, contributions in uh, in Manila were, were contributed by NetApp. So these are the basic project enablement, you know, getting uh, getting a new service going in OpenStack is something that NetApp was really fun- foundational for. And then, of course, we add our drivers on top of that. Uh, we contribute a lot of core code, do a lot of reviews, a lot of, giving back to the community, and obviously all this is going up in the open source uh, into the main project yep. upstream. And, and not only through OpenStack contributions, but we're also a main contributor to the NFS protocol itself. We write the RFCs, well, help write some of the RFCs. We have some of the core contributors to the Linux kernels. So, I mean, we, we have our hands into a lot of different areas that go outside the scope of just simple storage. Mm-hmm. Right. In fact, uh, even as we are talking right now, there's a mid-cycle meetup for Cinder that's going on, which NetApp is hosting. For all the developers and QA, QAs that are involved with OpenStack. And a couple of weeks back, we did the mid-cycle meetup for Manila, which is a file service again. So, Yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of storage companies, uh, guys, are, are walking around campus right now. So if you see them, uh, say hi. <laughs> so let's let's backtrack a little bit because we've, we've gotten a little bit into other areas that we're going to talk about a little later. Let's go back and... You know, if you don't know what OpenStack is, if the, if you're new to it, and really what I wanted this episode to be is an OpenStack 101, you know, basics of OpenStack. So if you guys could just tell us what exactly is OpenStack at a high level, and then where and when you'd want to use it. Like, what are some of the specific use cases? Mm-hmm. So just a, sort of a, a take a step back even beyond that and, and do just a little bit of history. As I mentioned in the beginning, OpenStack was sort of the brainchild of NASA and Rackspace. And so they collaborated NASA was really heavy on the compute side of it. Um, Rackspace was heavier on the storage side of it. And they combined their technologies and released those 
you know, as an open source uh, cloud framework, basically. And this um, was in 2011. Going, yeah, going way back. Um, and so um, it was really, a lot of people will ask, well, how does OpenStack compare to VMware? And really the, the right question is, how does OpenStack compare to Amazon Web Services? It was really kind of conceived as a, uh, a competitor, an open standard, if you will, to, to mirror the Amazon offerings. Um, so, for instance, the OpenStack compute project is Nova, whereas in Amazon it would be EC2, or block storage in OpenStack is Cinder, where it's EBS and, and Amazon Web Services. And so if you go down the list of, of offerings for Amazon, you'll find a, you know, a corollary in the OpenStack uh, project. So, In fact, I can talk from personal experience. I came from Amazon over to work on OpenStack, and um, you can actually see many things that are similar in OpenStack to, um, to what Amazon offers today. So uh, personally, it's easy for someone who is already familiar with the Amazon Web Services framework to adjust to OpenStack. Amazon itself, I mean, they build their own. So you're coming from Amazon. So they build their own implementation of a cloud. I mean, they don't necessarily leverage OpenStack, do they? Or is that something that you, you can't really disclose? So um, so Amazon doesn't make public uh, what they are leveraging, but OpenStack actually was conceived as a program after Amazon had matured. So it stands to reason probably that Amazon is definitely not using OpenStack. Okay, that makes sense. So uh, wh who is op using OpenStack? I know... We had a, an example of a customer, and it wasn't our customers, OpenStack's customers, of course, and it was public. It was what, what, PayPal? They, they just Yeah, PayPal is big. Um, we've also got a number of other large companies that are involved. Um, we've got Avaya, Canonical, Cisco, uh, DreamHost, uh, some of our competitors, um, NetApp, of course, Oracle, Yahoo, the, the list goes on and on. Um, so there are large companies that are involved with OpenStack today. So when Dave Kane came on here a while back for the OpenStack Summit episode, he talked about his project where he was able to deploy, you know, thousands of VMs, you know, in a matter of minutes, right? And I guess one of the use cases for OpenStack is putting the power in the hands of not the storage administrator, but of the developers. So that kind of ties into our DevOps piece, right, mm -hmm. a little bit in that regard. Yeah, I mean, if uh, actually there's a story out there now that uh, we're getting quite of a quite a good bit of press around the Despagar.com story. They're a um, the largest um, travel site in Latin America, and uh, they're a big customer of NetApp, and they've chosen us as their platform for their private cloud. So they're they're not only a user of private cloud; they're they're truly hybrid. They're doing Amazon as well. Uh, the developers are now you know uh, they're able to to repatriate workloads back into their private cloud as they see fit. And that's really removed a lot of the friction, uh, sort of the, you know, IT getting in the way of developers uh, being able to do that. And they've gone from, you know, de deploying applications three times a week or something to over 200 times. I mean, they, they've really, you know, rapidly increased the, the frequency and the speed of their release, kind of the modern DevOps release often, um, you know, workflow. And uh, NetApp's really been kind of key underpinning of that on their private cloud using a, a you know 3250s on as a foundation um, and iSCSI for their deployment on uh, on the OpenStack side. Yeah, so I guess the goal is to make it as easy and repeatable as possible, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they essentially have as I mentioned, is sort of that common framework where they can uh, deploy things in a certain way, they write their automation and they're able to rather lather rinse and repeat and keep doing that again and again and again quite rapidly. And FlexClone and some of the other technology that NetApp has make that uh, a lot faster. So you've got the, you guys have mentioned private cloud quite a bit here, and I've heard private cloud described as many different things. 
Um, and often those things are not right. So if you could go ahead and lay down the law on private cloud and what it actually is, and then how it fits into OpenStack, and if you consider OpenStack to be an incarnation of private cloud, or is it something else entirely? It, it is. It really is. A, it is to me. It's it's really the sort of the defining you know standard of private cloud in my mind because it's open source. It's been agreed on by a broad community of people. Um, the the number the attendance numbers at OpenStack Summit are just kind of mind boggling. The growth that we've seen in OpenStack over the years. Um, you know, I don't even know what the last attendance numbers were. You know, uh, um, over seven thousand from if I yeah. recall correctly. Yeah. yeah, seven. That sounds about right. Uh, so, and you've seen you know huge growth uh, across that, and they're all over the world. The OpenStack summits are held in Asia and America, and you know Canada and various different places throughout the world. Spain is on the the list soon uh, in a year or so. Um, but basically, what if you OpenStack is 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 as I mentioned, it's it's sort of leveraging the the pre, the the APIs that have been defined by Amazon, sort of mimicking those, making things able to be migrated from an Amazon uh, workload back into the private cloud running in, in your own data center. And so basically, what is a private cloud? And, I, and a lot of customers ask me, well, what's the benefit of it? Why, why would I use it? Why would I see benefits of it? So one of the things that um, all OpenStack services have is something called a scheduler. And the scheduler is uh, basically aware of all the resources that are available to it in this large pool of hardware that you have in your data center. So at a very simple level, it just makes it, um, it takes the the work of deciding where workloads go away from the administrators and it puts it on the APIs that are written into the cloud software. So when you go do a Nova boot command, for, exa for example, and you're booting up a Nova instance, you don't need to decide what piece of hardware, what server that goes on, or what hypervisor, even platform it goes on. The, the scheduler will decide that for you based on you know certain predefined things. You have a template of you know, a flavor that you'll have for, you know, I want a virtual machine that has a half a gig of memory and has two gigs of disk space or what have you, different flavors. You pick your flavor, you boot it off, and then the scheduler says, oh, okay, I see where this needs to go because I know the resources are over here and this this storage array has more free space and so I'm going to put the sender volume there. And, it, and so it just takes a lot of the uh, complexity of managing a lot of hardware and, and, and getting the, the full utilization out of that. Uh, it takes it away from... Uh, operators. So OpenStack is also used in public clouds. Um, so the most significant uh, public cloud vendor that uses OpenStack is Rackspace. Uh, and they've been, um, as Jeff pointed out earlier, uh, since 2011, Rackspace has been involved in the OpenStack community. Well, they have to, right? I mean, they helped, yeah. they helped come up with it, right? Yeah. I mean, it'd be pretty bad if they came up with it and said, all right, we're done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, out. <laughs> we're out. Peace. Here, Mike enjoy drop. that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Have fun, y'all. Yeah. Private cloud itself gets described sometimes as, and I, I've been guilty of this too, right? You know, it's not cloud, it's someone else's computer. And to an extent, that's true, but private cloud itself is not just someone else's computer. It's an entire orchestration of multiple things working together. It's storage, it's compute, it's automation, right? Networking as well. Right. I mean, Neutron is a huge part of it. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. uh, networking. So let's just break that down a little bit. Um, if we're thinking about storage, um, the OpenStack programs that you would uh, most commonly relate with are Cinder, which is a block storage service, Manila, which is a file share service, and um, Swift, which is the object storage service. So as we talked about earlier, these are actually comparable to services, corresponding services in Amazon. If we're talking about compute, uh, the service would be Nova. Um, and uh, for networking, we have Neutron, uh, which is 
you know, led by a number of different networking companies. We also have Keystone, right, with the identity management? Identity mm-hmm. yep. and authentication, that's key. Yes, Keystone, which is analogous to IAM and AWS. Yes, yeah, the identity management, making sure that you are able to verify who you are and prove it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's the idea. So everybody is a, a tenant in an OpenStack cloud, and so tenants have resources. You can set um, policies that say this tenant gets this sort of default level or they can be increased on a, any given basis. So it, it gives the administrators of the cloud a way to control the resources, who gets how much, and you know how many IOPS they get even down to that level of detail. And the flip side of that is admins get control, but uh, users also get that advantage of self-service provisioning. So with OpenStack, for example, your user can go and ask for a five gigabyte NFS share, and you know the admin doesn't even need to intervene. It w- it can be a completely automated process in the back end. So, yeah, and you know a lot of the concern about cloud in general from admins is you know this sounds a lot like you're taking my job, but what it's actually doing is it's offloading those menial tasks, those help desk tickets that come in that say, I need five gigs of NFS space. And you're like, geez, i got to do this again? Mm-hmm. And it automates all that and puts it in the hands of the users, and you control the infrastructure, and you control the architecture. So you go from being basically a janitor exactly, and becoming a, an architect of an entire environment. And that really is a, it's a, it's a career advancement as opposed to being a job killer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it. We've got customers that have used, uh, for instance, the Manila project. Thompson Reuters is a big use case for us. They've they've automated the, just the very process you're talking about. They're using the Manila project to automate the creation of the shares that they use in their content management system, uh, deploying websites or you know documents that they use or they host for their customers. And so you know what in the old days you can imagine you know there's this sort of help desk system. You put a ticket in, you wait, you go through the process. Somebody's got to manually do it. Everything in OpenStack is wrapped with an API, and it's all self-service. So the things that NetApp has done internally are, are really kind of a, a good example of that. You know, you're familiar with that. You can go and request a VM internally, and you get that. You don't have to wait for. There's no human intervention in that process. It's just uh, you're you're hitting the cloud. You're requesting the resources the same way you would in the public cloud. Yeah, There's absolutely. Really no difference, you know? It's basically making things more agile and yeah. making it more accessible for everybody instead of making it this giant monolith of IT, right? Yeah. Right, and uh, I think. Uh, the task for admins becomes more interesting too. You don't need to uh, go do menial tasks. You're now going to concentrate on things like how do I provision disaster recovery? How do I take care of replication? You know, how do I do my backups? Things along that nature. Oh, oh you mean the stuff that people used to ignore because they were inundated with help desk tickets? <laughs> exactly, those kind of things. Yeah, <laughs> I have to ignore the important all my, stuff. Yeah, I have to ignore all these failed backups because I have to provision yeah. five gigs of storage for NFS for sixty users. Okay, yeah. mate. <laughs> Back, right. Backups yeah. were always things that you knew didn't work when you needed them. Right, that was yeah. the last thing yeah. you thought of because yeah. of all these inundation of requests that people need right now, (laughs) and they don't get them right now, but now they do with OpenStack and public cloud and private cloud. Right. Exactly. Right. So, so it's, it's moving up the stack, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's providing a foundation. If you want to layer PaaS on top of your OpenStack, you know, IaaS, it's it's now a real option. There's a lot of services out there that we're starting to look at. Um, Trove is one. Sahara that we've also done some work around. Trove is a database as a service. Sahara's big data as a service. Okay, um, so like so Hadoop stuff, right? Yeah, Hadoop. Yeah. Um, so those kind of workloads are starting to see real uptick. We see a huge growth in the number of people that are deploying those types of services, even in the last six months. Um, for those of you who hadn't gone and checked out the uh, the user survey with the OpenStack Foundation. It's a really good place to see, uh, and especially if you look at them, compare them from one release to the next, you see, you know, kind of trends and things that are happening in OpenStack. All right, so 
NetApp is involved in the OpenStack community. And I know that they are big contributors, but they also have a community itself. So tell us a little bit about that community and how people can access that community. Yeah, so I think probably what you're referring to here is, a, is our GitHub site. So netapp.github.io is where we, we, it's all things OpenStack and all things containers, actually. Um, it's, it's kind of the clearinghouse for all those projects. Um, we have links there to our GitHub contributions, the open source code that goes upstream for Manila and Cinder and other projects we're working on. Uh, as I said, also the container information is there. Um, and you can see blogs. We have a lot of information that's coming out regularly about how you can use our technology. There's a, a, deploy, a deployment and operations guide there that is really sort of a great uh, version-specific document on how you go about deploying NetApp drivers uh, in an OpenStack cloud. So if you're, for instance, working on Kilo or Juno or Liberty, you can find specific release uh, information about you know our drivers for that. Um, yeah, let me put in a plug for the test drive. So we've got this cool uh, tool for you uh, that's going to deploy OpenStack. Uh, you basically go to netapp.github.io, and you um, uh, you basically click on the icon that says take a test drive, and it's going to deploy OpenStack for you in the AWS cloud. And you're go uh, it's, it, it's going to take probably around 60 minutes to deploy it, and you have a few hours to have a pre-configured OpenStack deployment for you to play around with. Um, this uses NetApp storage on Amazon, so you're going to use the on familiar ONTAP platform, and you're going to play around with things like storage efficiency, data protection, um, snapshots, snap mirror, things along that nature. So, and this is all free, right? I can just go in and play with it. Completely free, exactly. Um, you, it's completely free for you to try and learn. Yep, so if you've ever wanted to try out OpenStack, but were too entirely terrified to do it, this is your chance with Test Drive, right? And yes, this is this is your chance, and it's um, it just goes into proving that uh, OpenStack deployments can be repeatable. Our Test Drive, in fact, um, uses automation in order to deploy it for you on demand. Yeah, Test Drive itself is an example of an automation task that you would deploy with OpenStack. It's a use case of OpenStack. Yes, so as far as community goes, we also have meetups, right? So what type of meetups have we done with the OpenStack community? Yeah, we've, we've hosted some local meetups here. Uh, as Akshay men mentioned, we've also uh, we had the on-site uh, meetings for the Cinder community and the Manila community. The Cinder guys are actually here today uh, working on planning the, the next release of Cinder. Uh, so, so they're talking about things like you know, share or uh, DB as a service or consistency groups, or those kinds of things. In the Manila side, they, recently they had the meetup here and they were talking about uh, think ways to enhance uh, share replication or, you know, uh, sort of database-oriented workloads in Manila. Um, and we also have the local uh, user group. We've had them here on site and, uh, and hosted that as well. Yeah, we have a meetup coming up um, on February 8th, um, going to be focusing on OpenStack Trove. Trove is the database as a service project. So if you are in the Raleigh-Durham area, uh, be sure to stop by on February 8th. What time is that at? Do you know? Do we have a link for that we can put on the blog? It's on meetup.com. Okay. Uh, we'll put up a link on okay, the we'll blog. Put, yeah, yeah. We'll, put a, we'll put a link up for that on the blog if you're interested in doing a yeah, absolutely meetup. Yeah. So as far as meetups go, I mean, you know, part of the community is our partners. So how do we interact with our partners? How close are we with our partners? And who are some of our partners that we interact with? Yeah, so one of the things we do is, is publish reference architectures. Uh, so we've worked with Red Hat. We work with Mirantis. Uh, we have integrations with Cisco with our FlexPod program. 
uh, Dave Kane, you've had on talking about that. I'm sure he, he mentioned FlexPod. SUSE as well. SUSE as well. We've done uh, SUSE Cloud reference architecture. We have a large number of our customers are deploying on Ubuntu as well. Um, so they're in you know Rackspace. We've done a lot of work with them. Actually, uh, this is kind of an aside, but Rackspace is actually the the partner for our continuous integration environment here. We work with those guys to to help us design a really you know foolproof way to test a really large number of uh, you know a, a matrix of tests that we had to do across all of our drivers. So it's either Cinder and Manila across all of our protocols. You know you can imagine that gets in our, all of our platforms. It gets to be a big job to test all that stuff. So. Rackspace was really key in helping us um, put that together and make, make that scale. So. Right. For those of you all listening that are not familiar with what Mirantis is, Mirantis is a startup, uh, smaller than Red Hat and SUSE, of course, um, that is a pure play OpenStack company. So they offer services, support. They even have their own OpenStack distribution called Mirantis OpenStack. And uh, We've been working with them, and we have our Cinder drivers currently validated on the latest version of Mirantis OpenStack. And you can actually go into their deployment tool, which is called Fuel, and deploy NetApp storage with Mirantis OpenStack today. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of similar to what we've done with Red Hat. There's uh, their graphical GUI, you know, wizards that make it easy to just select, you know, NetApp as a drop-down and say, I want to deploy this on NFS and put in a few variables there and you're off and running. You, you come out with a cloud that uh, enables NetApp on the back end. Same thing with SUSE with their, their cloud. Uh, they have a graphical installer that supports NetApp as well. Uh, so it's just really sort of the ease of consumption that we're addressing there. Um, the drivers are upstream and they're available to anybody regardless of whether there's a graphical installer for it or not. So. Uh, some of the work there is is really cross-platform. A lot of the testing. So in some cases, we'll have questions from customers. You know, do you support this or do you support that? And it's and so it's important to draw the distinction between the installer part of it versus what are our drivers actually support. So whether or not that there's an installer for, for example, Fiber Channel, that protocol is supported because of the upstream testing that's required by the OpenStack community. Uh, so just to kind of cover that. Yes, exactly. Um, so our drivers are supported on these distributions, and all three of these distributions, Mirantis, um, Red Hat, Rel OSP, and SUSE Cloud, all of them are popular today. Okay, so since Andrew's not here today, I have to do this. What about <laughs> containers? What, what is OpenStack doing with containers? Yeah, we have kind of a, a two-pronged strategy with containers, and, and ne neither of us is the subject matter expert on this, but I can speak about it at a high level. We, If you want to do it with OpenStack, you can go to the netapp.github.io site, and there is a OpenStack-native Docker driver uh, that you can use. So basically, they're using our Cinder driver to do the provisioning of storage for Docker containers within an OpenStack context. Or if you want to go, uh, if you just want to do Docker in your VMware deployment, for instance, you can go to community.netapp.com. There's a generic driver that uh, Sumit, our, our coworker, uh, our teammate, wrote um, that uh, uses the iSCSI, uh, some iSCSI framework that he, he deployed there. So there's I'm two options if you, you know, Docker, either way, uh, in or out of, of OpenStack. Exactly. And what this allows you to do is if you move your container from one host uh, to another host, um, you are able to move your volumes along with the container. So that's what that allows you to do. Uh, you can find more about uh, some of Sumit's work and the uh, Flocker integration on our blog on netapp.github.io. Uh, yeah, and I've, I've been to that blog a few times, and there's a lot of good stuff on there. I mean, there's a lot of good automation tricks. There's some uh, things that Andrew's been writing up. If you go there, you're going to find some good resources on the whole OpenStack 
and container piece of the, the puzzle with NetApp. Yeah. yeah. Another key part of the, you're talking about automation. Um, you know, a lot of these installers that we, we've talked about, we've done work with Red Hat or Mirantis or whatever, underneath the hood, a lot of them have um, tie-ins with either certain technologies like Puppet or Chef or Ansible. Uh, or fuel, so there's these sort of base technologies that um, there's that we really have to to work with those partners to to get right. Um, and so we've done a lot of work around that. You'll see some more information coming out pretty soon in the near future about Ansible. We're, we've got that on our roadmap to do, and it's gaining a lot of steam in the OpenStack world, uh, especially with the the acquisition by Red Hat. So it just only adds to the momentum they had. Uh, although you know Puppet is. is in a lot of deployments, as well as Fuel and Chef, so uh, we—it makes it hard. This this DevOps world is—it's broad and it's it's changing rapidly. There's a lot of new tool sets, and, and it's, it's crowded. It's crowded. It is there's crowded. A lot, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of stuff out there. There's right? a lot of really smart young guys that are excited about these various different technologies, and it's really it's it's a full time job to keep up with uh, the changes in that. It's world, almost so. like yeah. HD DVD versus Blu-ray right exactly. now. Right? I mean, yeah. who wins? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not saying which one's Blu-ray, by the way. Yeah. Just saying. Except you have to have a hoodie. But other than that, it's the same. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so um, we talked about a, you know, a little bit about Cinder, Swift, and Manila. What are the current statuses of these particular OpenStack implementations? So let's start off with Cinder. What is the current status of that? Cinder is a core OpenStack program. It's uh, one of the key... Uh, it's one of the cornerstones of uh, pretty much... Uh, an OpenStack deployment in general allows you to use block storage. So anytime you do not want to use your ephemeral storage, and what I mean by that is you don't want to use the disks on your server, uh, you know, be it whatever type of server you have, commodity or enterprise. Um, anytime you don't want to use ephemeral storage, you want to rely on a uh, storage um, on something like a NAS or a SAN. Uh, be it NetApp, if you choose to go with this platform, which you should. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to be unbiased. Yeah, here, don't, don't yeah. just drink the Kool Aid, Akshay. Yeah. Drink the Kool Aid. Just man. choose the number one enterprise storage. Don't worry about the others. What was yeah. that what number one? <laughs> so, uh, if you're going with an enterprise storage platform, yeah, go with the number one storage, which is NetApp. Yes, absolutely. So it's funny the na the names I've noticed have. Um, very distinctive ways of making you remember what they are for, such as Cinder Block or Manila folders for file level stuff. I forget what Swift does with Object. I remember that was a, there was a there's object piece to that. I remember reading about it, but do, do you guys remember that? No, that, no, I, I don't. Yeah, it actually question, seems though. that's a it, good OpenStack trivia question. It's, it yeah. predates my time there. Actually, let's. I'm going to go ahead and yeah, Google that Google right that. now. We can deliver your object swiftly. <laughs> While you're doing that, I'll talk a little bit about. Yes, that might be it. It might be. It might be because of speed, right? NetApp has the you know obviously the longest history with Cinder. We started back in the 2011 timeframe. We actually got involved in the Diablo timeframe. Uh, so those of you that don't know, every OpenStack release is is lettered. So it goes Diablo, Essex, Folsom, Grizzly, so on. Uh, so we got involved back then and released a driver in the Essex timeframe for Cinder. Um, and then you know more recently, I've gotten in the last three or four releases, I've uh, put out the Manila project, uh, but actually predated the the Amazon offering for file shares as a service. So we were really the first to market on that, and I'm quite proud of that. Yeah, uh, NetApp is the founder of the Manila project, a significant contributor in the Cinder project as well. So yeah. the Manila piece, tell me about the use case for Manila and the file level stuff. 
Yeah, we have a lot of customers that are asking about it. One of the things that keeps coming up is uh, is database as a service. That's one of the potential use cases for Manila. Uh, as I mentioned, Thomson Reuters is using it, sort of generic file shares for their content uh, management system. Uh, any time where you have a need for NFS file shares among uh, lots of VMs in a cloud, it could be a, a good fit. So, for example, VDI would be another work kit, uh, workload where you can imagine, you know, you have a lot of instances in the cloud. They need to have a common share. Uh, maybe it's a SIF share in this case with Windows desktops. Uh, Manila can serve you know that function quite well, uh, provide the share in an automated way, and then also in an automated way provision provision who has access to it. So those are really the two key things in Manila is create the share, define access. Um, you can even um, let's say you want to set up uh, home directories for users. You can do that with OpenStack. Maybe you want to migrate a thousand users to OpenStack and have their home directories configured. Um, you can do that. You can do that automated. You mean I don't have to set up each individual user one by no. one by myself? <laughs> Does anybody do that anymore? <laughs> That's the thing, right? I mean, again, we go back to the admin's right, dilemma, right? right? The so admin's if, dilemma. If you are doing that today, you don't need to do that. <laughs> Is my job security based on my ability to create a thousand home directories? No. It is based on the ability to make that easy. Right. Right, and you can make it easy with uh, NetApp and OpenStack. Absolutely. So I, I did some searching on the Swift stuff. Couldn't find anything, but I'm, I'm guessing that actually it's probably right. It's probably a quick delivery of object storage. So to talk about object storage a little bit, you know, what would we use object storage for? We have files-level stuff for home directories. We have block storage for when you want to, you know... Uh, give a disk to somebody, right? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about object storage. I mean, basically, storage. object storage, you, you, the thing that people have to wrap their mind around is that you're never really going to be consuming or, or, or putting things in an object store as an end user with a, you know, sort of a graphical interface. It's not like in the world where, you know, you have a SIFS file share and you're putting your PowerPoint out there. In, in object storage, you typically have an application that is uh, making API calls. It's doing HTTP puts or gets, and it knows the location of things in advance because it's looked them up in a database. You know, so it's it's, it's operating essentially. A, a, a object store is kind of a, a high-powered web server, if you will. Right. Its ability to serve objects over you know RESTful protocols, HTTP. You know, basically. So. And um, in contrast to something uh, data you would have on a block or file store. An object store will have static data, things like images or maybe videos, things that don't change too often. So you typically just upload them over there. One of the most common use cases for object storage is archives. So you can, things you wouldn't necessarily modify, you back up an archive to an object storage. Yeah, and I would look at things like photography-containing sites, right? I'm not going to name off photography sites because I don't know what they use on their back end. But sites that where you can upload your photos and access them later probably use some form of object storage because that fits the use case that you're talking about right now. Yep. Yes, I would uh, imagine that uh, even some of the most popular sites like Netflix, for example, uses object storage in the back end. Yeah, and we, we don't know for sure because we don't talk to Netflix and get their infrastructure. But this is just a guess, right? Based on how they use it and what they do, that might be one of the companies that would use potentially object store on the back end. Yeah, and we have a number of customers that are using our E-Series storage as, a, as the back end for a Swift deployment. So you can either, you know, we talked about our storage grid offering, but as well you can run the, essentially the unmodified Swift code. Um, you can use it on an E-Series array. Uh, but instead of having to have three copies of everything, you can ratchet that down to two or even one copies and really see some substantial savings in your power and heating cooling, you know, disk space in your, or floor space in your data center, all those kinds of environmentals. 
are really going to come down nicely with an E-Series with a DDP technology underneath it. So that's something that a lot of our customers have seen. It also, um, in some cases, we've seen some really dramatic improvements in their network performance because Swift has such high requirements for replication. Uh, making free copies of, a, of an object, you know, across a network or in sometimes across a WAN, you can imagine the kind of data traffic that you would get with that. So. Uh, without having to do that with DDP underneath it, uh, a lot of people can see some really nice uh, benefits, as well as just sort of the operational niceness of not having to manage failed disks. Well, that's one of the things that people that operate Swift at scale talk about a lot. Is you know every time a disk fails, you got to go out there, you re, you know put it put a new one back in, get it configured in the server, put it back in the ring, and re-replicate and all that kind of stuff. All that kind of headache goes away when you sort of hide that underneath uh, with Right, the DDP technology that Jeff is referring to is called dynamic disk pools. Um, and what that basically does for you is it reduces your storage footprint by, from 3x to 1.7x. So you're gonna see, um, let's say you have uh, 10 terabytes of Swift uh, objects uh, in a Swift deployment with three replicas, that's going to take up 30 ter terabytes typically, but we can reduce that to 17 terabytes. So it's a significant savings. Yep, yep. So you talked about E-Series. We have to address the elephant in the room. How does SolidFire fit into the OpenStack realm? Yeah, I mean, uh, happy to talk about SolidFire. Obviously, um, right now, there, we're still technically a competitor of SolidFire, but, I, you know, we have slides we talk about, it, and, I, and we can highlight some strengths uh, that we have against them, as well as uh, there's a lot of features that they, they frankly, have that, uh, that we don't. Um, so, obviously, that would be the reason for our interest in them in an acquisition, is that they complement us well. And it, my read of it is it's going to be, in some cases, you'll see companies... Uh, look at another company and have a really hard time explaining the overlap in the right, product right. suite. You know, it's like, why did they buy them? I don't get it. You know, uh, I don't have that problem personally in this case. There's a there's a very clear set of strengths that they have. Um, they have a really strong footprint in the service provider community. They have some very strong features around QoS, for example, things to that they can guarantee certain levels of service as a base level, as a floor. Uh, which is something that uh, nicely complements, you know, our strength in service provider communities um, with with our strength around instantaneous snapshots and flex clones and sort of the, the data management side of things on the FAS. So there's a, there's a real nice set of strengths there that they both have. Um, I don't know. Akshay, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, and uh, as a customer, um, you know, you're going to have, regardless of what... Uh, option you choose, SolidFire, um, tap or E-Series, you're going to have a better overall experience because what that means is you're going to get support from the same company. You're going to uh, be able to uh, go between products more easily. You're going to be able to see the advantages and the disadvantages of each product more clearly. And you're going to be able to make the best decision for you. So... There are obvious benefits to choosing cluster data on tap, uh, but uh, as Jeff pointed out, um, you know we cannot ignore that SolidFire brings its own share of benefits. See, what's funny about the SolidFire thing is that the uninformed immediately looked at that and said, oh, it's a flash play. And they didn't understand that there's also a cloud play there, there's an orchestration play, there is an ease of use and manageability play, there's QoS, and there's the OpenStack play. There's a lot that SolidFire brings to the table that enhances and complements what we already do with cluster data on tap and E-Series. Right. And um, uh, for those of uh, you that are not aware, 
SolidFire does have a Cinder driver, um, a block storage driver already available uh, and one that is uh, quite popular. And, you know, of course, this is not an official thing yet, right? There's still things to be moved around. And, you know, so it's all speculation at this point, of course. Got to give the disclaimer out there. We can't just go willy-nilly and off the rails there and talk about it as if we, we have them now. But the proposition of it is exciting, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's honestly, uh, and I would say this, uh, as a competitor, they have really excellent, quite impressive technology. I mean, they're just, uh, I, I, you know, I, if, if the acquisition goes through, I'd be proud to have them in, you know, in our product suite. Um, it really does broaden us out. It gives us a lot of capability and a lot of reach to certain markets that we don't currently have, which is exactly what you would expect in an acquisition. You're trying to open up to new customers, new uh, new users that you couldn't address with your current product strategy. So I think yeah. it's a great a yep. great win for both the companies. It obviously gives them a lot of scale um, that they might not have had uh, being in a startup mode uh, from a marketing and sales standpoint. And uh, and so I think it'll be a great a great uh, marriage for both the companies. Which, by the way, I mean with the startup mentality, not notwithstanding, their marketing was already very good. I oh, mean yes. they had some yeah. good marketing. They had excellent swag at conferences. They were getting the message out very effectively, and I think that's also another play that adds into the NetApp portfolio. Are you trying to say something? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm at the OpenStack DMEs. <laughs> no, it's it's not. A, it's I'm not just a, kidding. Yeah, I'm just it's, kidding. It's not a knock to you guys. I mean, they were doing a great job with limited resources, right? I mean, yeah, they, they no. didn't have what we have. Yeah, they, they, they're sort of the, the proverbial and, punching above their weight. I mean, yeah, they definitely yeah. were, no doubt about and, it. I mean, yeah. and, and Dave Hitz himself said that he saw the culture of Solid Fire. And it reminded him a lot of NetApp's early days. And if you can bring that back into the fold and get that culture reignited to that stance that we had back then, it, it's only an enhancement. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. OpenStack, what do you see the adoption rate? You know, so how is it catching on? Is it kind of slowing down? I mean, what is it looking like out there? Yeah, I mean, well, from a from a NetApp perspective, we have really good data on on the growth that we're seeing. Some customers uh, choose not to enable the auto support feature, but for those that do, we get metrics at least that they're they're using it for OpenStack, and we see a really nice ramp in the growth in the number of customers. We're over 150 customers now already. Um, but not only that, we're seeing a really strong growth in the uh, in the actual volume of deployment, and the, from a controller count standpoint, a number of volumes deployed, we're seeing a really uh, almost like a four x growth over the number of customer growth that we're seeing. So um, we take that to be evidence that not only are they kick, our customers kicking the tires and trying this out in the proof of concepts, they've actually gone to production. We know from you know our largest customers that they're successfully in production. Yep. Uh, our very largest customer is on NFS. You'll be happy to hear. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> but that's not limited. You know, we have customers doing all the protocols that we offer, and depending on their use cases, and so, uh, and we're not prescriptive about that. If they need fiber channel, then that's probably the best choice for them. If they have requirements around latency or you know whatever, whatever their needs are, uh, we've got a, a pretty broad uh, array of products and protocols to kind of fit the bill there. So yeah, we don't care. We have a Swiss, yeah. we have a Swiss Army knife, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, what do you yeah. want to use? Yeah. Take it. Unified storage. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and there's a lot of cases where that's that's actually saved people because they get into a certain project and they think they know what the requirements are up front, and they did know the requirements initially, and then the scope of the project changes, and they realize, oh, well, you know, we'd really like to have Manila for this. Oh, but we bought a protocol, or you know, we brought a sandbox that doesn't offer file shares as a service, and so then they have to, you know, look at a, a different option. So. Uh, I think having all those choices available to them at the outset without being sort of locked into one strategy is kind of important. Uh, another thing that uh, I've actually had customers tell me 
that we don't talk enough about is our continuous operations. So try, you know, if, you know, if you think about the the old world with IT, and you know, you get a downtime. You ask your users of a certain service, oh, when can we get a schedule this? We'll try to get a downtime for your cloud. You know, <laughs> when's your cloud going to be, you know, yeah. not in use? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> so not happening. It's not, not, not happening. Not in a twenty-four by yeah. seven global IT organization where the sun is always moving and yeah. someone's always awake. Yeah, that you'll yeah, what you'll absolutely. get is laughter. You won't get a downtime. Get, like, yeah. It's pretty funny. A downtime for our cloud. Yeah. Uh, so you, what you need is a platform that enables you to keep the lights on and keep operations going all the time. And if you need to migrate a workload off to do maintenance, and your end users are none the wiser. Um, we can do that. You know, we can upgrade firmware on the fly. All the kind of things that are not really going to be so easy on a lot of our competitors' platforms are quite easy with NetApp. And I think that accounts for our strength in historically in VMware and other kind of virtualized environments. And it, and it maps over very nicely to OpenStack. And you can look at some of the customers that have already deployed OpenStack with NetApp on NetApp.com and, um, you know, go through the different uh, large customers that have used it effectively. The other thing I want to point out is some of these advantages Jeff mentioned, like continuous operations, you can experience them firsthand. Um, just go take a free test drive. Well, we have a test drive. That's right. You can do it on your own, test it out yourself, and move things around. And it's see got a really big V8 engine in it, too. It does. You should, yeah, it's you a Hemi. Should, you should hear that test drive. It's, it's huge. Makes a lot of noise. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a diesel. Terrible on gas mileage. No, it's not. It's You're not. right. <laughs> All right, so... You mentioned the test drive, and we talked about how customers are deploying it and they're kicking the tires. Let's talk about the other side of OpenStack, which is a common complaint. OpenStack is hard. How are we going to fix that problem, and have we already addressed it with some of the things like test drive? So we have addressed part of it with the test drive. Um, you know, we uh, the test drive is an example of infrastructure that is brought up in a repetitive manner. Um, for every single person that uh, wants to try out OpenStack with NetApp. The other thing we're uh, working on right now, and we're going to have ready for you very soon, is we're going to have some step-by-step -step instructions for you to deploy OpenStack with RDO. RDO is um, the community version of Red, Red Hat o OpenStack platform, RHEL OSP. So we're going to have those step-by-step -step instructions coming your way probably this week or next week. Um, it's going to go through setting up your storage, your networking, your compute, and so on. Yeah, I mean, one of the things our customers are telling us is that they, they really see um, the same processes that have resulted in success in their DevOps you know, application deployment uh, strategies, um, they really want to migrate those over to managing their infrastructure. And so every and the idea is that everything is ma managed in source control. Everything goes in a GitHub or uh, some other similar kind of repository for code. There's little snippets of code that get tested, and then you make these changes through automated processes that you're not going to you're not wondering how they're going to turn out. You know exactly because they've already been pre-tested in a, in a you know sort of continuous integration test scenario. So the things we're doing around automation with Puppet with Fuel and with Chef and with Ansible, those are the, that's the solution to making OpenStack easy. That's what you see the, uh, the installers are doing. They're using those under underlying technologies to make it repeatable. Um, for those of you, I'm going to throw out a, a, a computer word, idempotent. So these things are idem oh, idempotent. Yeah, that word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's, what's idempotent? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll open it up to, do you want to phone a friend? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've looked up that word multiple times, yeah. and I've never <laughs> okay. retained what it actually 
means. Yeah. So I, think I saw it in a spelling bee. Yeah, no, okay. <laughs> I, I had to throw that one out. It's such a fun word. So basically the idea is that you can run these things multiple times and they're not gonna do any damage. Um, so if you know you run something and something um, a dependency was missed and you run it again and then that thing just starts working. So you're not you're not worrying that these tools uh, can be run in production. They're not gonna do damage in other words. They're smart enough to undo uh, things that they have done if you tell them to or you know so that that's what uh, what that means and and the upshot of it is in production is that you you're confident that you can run these tools without causing outages and that's really what it comes down to when you're an operator you know on a more practical level um you know openstack you can deploy netapp storage and openstack with rel osp for example with their director uh, you can actually deploy netapp storage right now that's a configuration option for you uh, with Mirantis OpenStack, you can again deploy NetApp E-Series uh, or uh, NetApp cluster data on top. And it's pretty much just a checkbox, and you choose whether the protocol that you want with your NetApp storage. Yeah, and I think uh, probably the, the the simplest solution, actually, just sort of the out-of-box solution is is FlexPod. We've done a huge amount of work with uh, with Cisco and with Red Hat around FlexPod. Dave Kane and I spent numerous hours, and he did. He honestly did all the heavy lifting and did a great job with that. Uh, there's a huge, um, you know, deployment guide on how you do this yourself. I you helped wanna, him with the NFS yeah, part. Yeah, no, I, a lot of people were involved in this. So good, good, good job there. <laughs> NFS. Yeah, NFS. Props for NFS. Um, and so, you know, if you want to deploy it and you want to shorten your your project schedule and you don't want to expose yourself to the risk of, you know all of your IT staff having to get up to speed and be expert in, in OpenStack. Uh, FlexPod takes a lot of that, that pain out of deploying, deploying it, and obviously then you have three companies standing behind you a phone call away if, uh, if you need it. So. Yeah, and, and if you're not familiar with, with, with FlexPod, it's our converged solution, right? Our, our Basically our storage in a box. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Cisco hardware, uh, Red Hat for the OpenStack and Linux distributions, and NetApp for the storage. So. Uh, the sort of best of breed, you know, get get the best of all all, all worlds combined. So. And that that one's for Glenn. There yeah. you go, Glenn. <laughs> We've included you as well. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, um, for me, who, someone who's never actually set up OpenStack, but only have read about it and kind of seen implementations, what it looks like to me is that the the difficulty of OpenStack is in the initial implementation, but once you've got it set up and it's ready to go, the maintenance is pretty easy, and from there, it's just set it and forget it. Would that be accurate? I see. That, that's a no. T- the silence no, is no, a no. No, it's not a no. Actually, I was, it looked like Akshay was going to answer that. Yes, so yeah. um, uh, answering your previous question and the question that you have right now, there's actually one thing we left out, which is pretty important. We have on the GitHub site, netapp.github.io, uh, our deployment and operations guide. This is pretty much like the encyclopedia for doing anything NetApp and OpenStack related. So check that out. Uh, the Deployment and Operations Guide It's also known as the DOG, <laughs> popularly within our team. Oh, the, the Encyclopedia NetAppia. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but back to your question, I mean, one of the things like, is it set it or forget it? Uh, the answer is probably no. There's going to be, you know, there's there's going to be ongoing care and feeding of, of a cloud, like um, security-wise, you're going to need to patch your operating system. Right, right. And, but and I mean, that's where, you know, having a vendor like Red Hat who controls the entire stack from the bottom to the top is is a is a big benefit. Um, but what I'm saying is the difficulty part, right? Because the right. difficulty is the, all the moving parts. You know, yep. I need to know SAN, I need to know file systems, I need to know networking, I need to know cloud. Yeah. Once it's all set up, after that, it's maintenance. It's it's you it know, updates. It's you know potential 
break fix stuff every now and then. We, and we have customers that, that deploy OpenStack in very different ways. I mean, so at, at one end of the spectrum, you have customers who they might still be on a quite an old release of OpenStack, and it's got all the features they need. They don't need the additional features or the additional products that or projects that have been added since then. And so they're happily running that, serving their business um, as is. And then we at the other end of the spectrum, you have customers who are basically deploying OpenStack at trunk. I mean, they're, they're maybe two weeks behind the yeah, main... Bleeding edge. Yeah, they're at the bleeding edge. And in order to do that, that takes a whole other skill set because then right. you have to have continuous integration, testing. You, you basically have to be able to have segments of your data center you deploy to, and then you pre-test that with automated scripts and say, yep, that looks good. That's going to do what our customers expect it to do when we turn on the lights, and then you let the workloads go in there. So there's a real range of how people are deploying OpenStack, and, and it kind of depends on the business. And it, it's really a, you know, not unique to any vendor, right? I mean, we have customers still running ONTAP 6X in some regards, right? Or Windows NT people out there still out in the wild paying Microsoft for that NT support because it works for them, and they don't want to take the headache of moving to the next level because it's just going to interrupt their business. Right. Yeah. It's all about value of the business. What 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 do they need, and you know, to to help them make their their numbers. And really, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. So, it's it, so and sometimes it's just delaying the inevitable. And, yeah. And really, it's hurting you in the long run. But in other cases, it there is a use case for keeping what yeah. you already have. And I think it's it's also important to kind of note that OpenStack has come a long way. So in the early days. Uh, there was some serious pain around upgrades. Uh, upgrading from one release to the next might involve doing schema changes in your database that weren't well documented, and so you had to really get into down and dirty and understand what the changes were from release to release. Uh, the OpenStack Foundation has made a lot of effort to ease that pain and make upgrades uh, a lot more seamless than they used to be. So you'll hear a lot less sort of the horror stories around upgrades that you, you used to hear of in the past. Mm. All right, so yeah. we're we're getting low on time here, so let's talk a little bit about what's coming up with OpenStack Summit. Where's this? Where's it going to be, and when is it? And are are you presenting anything? What have we submitted? Yeah, so the OpenStack uh, Summit is going to be April twenty fifth in Austin, Texas. So it's a great location to barbecue. Invite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, barbecue, uh, music, you know, yeah. all the things that Austin are known for. It's a great place to bring customers because it's central, you know, in the yeah. U.S. Uh, so we invite everyone that's listening that uh, that might have customers that are interested in OpenStack to bring them to the summit. We're going to have really easy uh, VIP meeting rooms right there on site. So uh, feel free to tell your sales guys that uh, you know you'd like to meet with us, and we'd be happy to talk to you there. Um, it's as I mentioned, it's April 25th, and um, I don't know, Akshay, do you want to mention anything about? Yeah, so we've submitted uh, sessions for the summit. Um, uh, we're going to be doing. A demo-only session for the latest features in Manila. We're going to take you through things like share replication, consistency groups, availability zones, and so on. Also do some of the more simpler stuff, um, uh, like maybe extend and shrink a share, things along those lines. Yeah. Uh, we, also, uh, we would be doing a session on backups in OpenStack. How do you want to do your backups for Cinder volumes or Manila shares? Now that I have time to do backups. Exactly. Oh yes, <laughs> exactly. Now, now that you have the time, you want to you know make yourself productive. So you know, go look at backups. Um, we are also going to be talking about, let's see here, um, Trove possibly. Um, yeah, we've got a we got a session on Trove. They're working with uh, some partners around that. We have a, a joint customer who's really interested in database as a service and using. Uh, NetApp is the back end for that, uh, long-time NetApp customer. Oh, yeah, and so. we have a hands-on lab. Sorry, Jeff, go, go ahead. ahead. 
And we have a hands-on lab. Um, we're going to uh, give you a chance to experience the test drive uh, for that entire week at Austin. Another thing I'll just mention real quick is we there's a there's a six month uh, user survey and so we're very keen on getting you know making sure that we're fairly represented out there. So if you're running our OpenStack integrations with NetApp, please take a moment to go out and, and fill out the user survey uh, for the OpenStack Foundation so that you know the people know about uh, what what's being used out there in production. And if you've got OpenStack questions that you want uh, the guys to answer for you, you can hit us up at podcast at netapp.com. Um, we are taking questions from our listeners, and we're going to present them on the podcast. We're already getting some trickling in. And if you do submit a question, we'll, uh, we'll hook you up with some stickers and some, maybe some other NetApp swag. Uh, you guys can get stickers, too, if you want. Oh, great. I'll hook you up. Thanks. I'll give them to my daughter. I, I know the guy who gives those out. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or via techontappodcast.com. We're everywhere. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Jeff and Akshay for joining us this week. And remember to send your questions in to be featured on the NetApp Tech on Tap podcast. As always... Thanks for listening. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.